Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 jesus said in that passage he said i didn't come to condemn you because you're condemned already jesus was saying god gives us a love that cannot be exceeded so that he might give us a life that will not be exhausted so that we might have a light that cannot be extinguished that's who our god is Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John, the third chapter, one of the most familiar chapters in all of the Bible. Questions? Do you have any? Have you had any? It's not unusual for us to have questions about our faith. In fact, I would say it's okay to be filled with questions when you come to the things of God. But you have to remember, when you have questions about your faith, you should first ask, well, what would Jesus say? How would Jesus respond to these things I'm thinking about in my life? I would tell you this, he's not intimidated by your questions, but he does have answers. Before we get started, I have a question for you. Of all the words in the Bible, which words are the words of God? What do you think? It's all of them, right? In fact, we believe all of the Bible is inspired by God. When you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman may be complete and equipped for every good work. So we understand that the Bible we have today uh, comes from those original manuscripts in Hebrew and Greek. And in fact, just in case you're wondering, uh, there's more archaeological and historical evidence of the authentication of those manuscripts in the Hebrew and Greek than there are of the writings of William Shakespeare. So we believe that those words were divinely inspired. They were God-breathed into the authors who wrote those. So we can trust the Bible, right? Now, my college professor didn't believe that, and he was a religion professor. In fact, he would say things like the first 11 chapters of Genesis, those are just myth, because surely God didn't create everything. And, you know, Moses didn't cross a a Red Sea, because people can't do that. And certainly Jonah was not swallowed by a... Well, did did anybody see the news this week? The lobster fisherman off of Cape Cod, he said everything was dark. (laughs) 
and I realized I was in the belly of a whale. I'm just trying to tell you, you can trust God's Word. So all of the Bible is God's Word. But many of you, when you open the Scriptures and you get to the New Testament, you'll notice some of the words are written in red. What do those red words mean? Those are the words of Jesus. So we believe that eyewitnesses wrote down the words that literally came off of the lips of Jesus. They must be pretty important, right? God in flesh speaking into our lives. And so for the next several weeks throughout the summer, we're going to look at those red hot words. Some of the most well-known words in the Bible. And today, we begin with what I think is the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3.16. Some of you memorized it as a child, like I did, in the old King James. If you know it, I want you to say it. If you don't know it, don't be embarrassed. Just say, watermelon, 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 while we're talking, okay? So if you know it, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What an amazing verse we've learned there out of God's Word. Some of the most famous verses in Scripture. In fact, I can remember as a child going to baseball games, whether in Atlanta to watch the Braves, or or one time I literally, because we were on a trip, watched the Braves play against the Los Angeles Dodgers. But even if it was on TV, I could see that guy in the rainbow wig, and he would have a big poster most of the time that said John 3.16. Or maybe... You saw the episode of The Simpsons where they made fun of him. You remember this guy? So the whole world recognizes, man, there's something about those words. There's something about that verse. In fact, I'm starting here because I believe you can't begin to heed any of the other words of Jesus until you first understand and follow these words, John 3.16. So we're going to pray because I believe this moment may be transformational in some of your lives. In fact, I'm praying that some of you walk out of here with a different eternal destination than that with which you walked in. You got up and you came to church because that was a good thing to do, but if life were to end today, you would spend eternity separated from God in the place the Bible calls hell. And yet that's not God's desire. So I'm praying that he works and you listen and respond so that that change is made. So let's pray. Father, our prayer is simple today. Speak. Give us ears to hear and and a heart and mind that's receptive. Lord, give us those things that we need that we don't have. Teach us those things that we need to understand that we don't know. But most of all, Lord... Change us, transform us into men and women or boys and girls that we've not yet become. God, just a few moments ago we met and at least two people bravely identified that they needed to be born again. God, would you would you give courage to some in this moment to do the same? Save somebody today. You're the only one who can. So, Lord, give me the words to say and the thoughts to think so that nothing I do or say gets in the way as you speak. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. John chapter 3, and in my Bible, as I look at this chapter, it says, 
You must be born again. John chapter 3 comes right after John chapter 2. And always in the Bible, we should try to understand the context. In John chapter 2, Jesus performs his first miracle. Do you know where that took place? It was at a wedding. And, and kind of it hit me over the last couple of weeks as we celebrated our, our son's marriage. And I had the chance to officiate my son's wedding. That's such a special time. I mean, the Bible begins with a wedding. They're in the Garden of Eden. The Bible ends with a wedding in Revelation. And Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding. And, and I get it now because after I officiated the wedding, which was interesting, by the way, because I was at a very important part of the wedding. And I opened my mouth to say something and a gnat flew right in and hung out on my vocal cords. And he realized he was going to his death. And so he wouldn't let loose. I couldn't say. I was like, I mean, I couldn't say anything. It was Anyway, it was memorable. But after that, we just began this party. We had a great time. It was so much fun. And Jesus performs this miracle at this wedding, and everybody begins to notice there's something different about this guy. And then he does what anybody who is serious about God should do. He, he goes to a corporate place of worship. He goes to the temple. And so parents, let me just... Let this be our summer reminder. Don't ever expect your kids to prioritize the things they watch you marginalize. So if you're serious about your walk with God, what you're doing in this place is important. I'm so glad that we're able to come back together and worship corporately. So Jesus went to the temple and he did not like what he saw. And in fact, there was all kind of nonsense going on. And it says that Jesus got angry and he began to throw things around. One of the other gospel tells us that Jesus even says, you've made my house a den of thieves when it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And I can't help but think that God would look at some of the things that go on inside buildings that are called the church today and it would make him angry. But it's in that context that we find John chapter 3. The next event says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Say Nicodemus. Now say it again like you mean it. Say Nicodemus. Now say your name. I don't just, last service did the same thing. Do you not know your name? You was like, Nicodemus. Say your name. Let's try that again. Say your name. All right, here's what I want you to know. You may, not, you may not know your name, but God knows your name. When you see specific people recorded in Scripture, you should be reminded that God knows your name. A friend of mine likes to say, God knows your address. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you need. He, the person sitting next to you may not know what's really going in your life. Your spouse, your family member may not know the secrets of your life, but God knows. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. 
speaking to Nicodemus, a, a ruler of the Jews. So instantly we see this man's outward identity. And Nicodemus had been living the way a lot of, I li- a lot of us live, focused on that outward identity. So we're really concerned about what people think about us, and often it's based on the wrong things. It's based on our accomplishments, the job titles, the education. It's based on our bank account, the kind of house we live in, the clothes we wear, or, or the car we drive, uh, the achievements that we have in life. And that creeps its way even into religious settings, and so we walk into the church focus on our outward identity. And so John, the writer of these words of God, it lets us know that Jesus is aware of this. And this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, our teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs. What signs? Well, he had just turned water into wine. Don't you think that spread like wildfire? He had just gone into the temple and professed that He was different than the other worshipers. No one can do these signs unless God is with them. And Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And, And that's when we realize that the one that we're reading about, this man named Nicodemus, the most religious person that perhaps Jesus would meet does not have what he needs. He needs to be born again. That's when we begin to understand that there's a difference between religion and regeneration. Regeneration is when something new takes place in your life and you're born again. And and some of you, even as I'm talking about this, you you need to understand that's where you are. Exactly where this well-known guy in the scripture is. You you need to be born again. You, You want the things of God. You want the blessings of God. You want to be a part of the kingdom of God. But the truth is, you need to be born again. You've not experienced that thing which most transforms you. That thing Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 13. You might look at those verses with me. Jesus is telling a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus would tell to illustrate truth. And it says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. So this is a farming parable. I'm not a farmer, but we did have a little garden as I was growing up around our house. And that was sometimes part of my responsibilities. And sometimes I was the one who planted the seed. Notice what happens. But while his men were sleeping, the other gardeners... His enemy came and he sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. An enemy. I want to remind you today that you have an enemy. It may not be who you think it is because you only have one enemy. The Bible calls him a thief. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. He he deceives. He divides. He discourages. So when the plants came up and bore grain... Then the weeds appeared also. Again, I'm not a wheat farmer, but I've, I've heard this described. In a wheat field, the problem of weeds is different than it was in our little vegetable garden in our backyard. We had rows that we had dug and planted different seeds for the tomato plants and the different things that we planted. And I would have to, sometimes for allowance, sometimes just in order to live in the house that I lived in, I would have to go and pull the weeds out of the garden. That was easy, really. But in a wheat field, the weeds that would come up looked just like the wheat. 
Some of you have heard this story from Jesus and you heard it called the wheat and the tares. The tares were stalks that looked just like the wheat, but they weren't wheat. In fact, the only way that you could tell that they were not wheat is to tear the stalk open. If you tore the stalk open, if it was wheat, there would be grain inside. If if it was not wheat, it would be empty inside. Why did Jesus tell that story? He told this story for the same reason that he's talking to Nicodemus. He's saying it's possible to be very religious and not be regenerate. It's possible to be a church member and not be a Christian. It's possible to have all the appearance so that no one around you would think anything. And yet you'd be headed to hell. Because the only way to know the difference is what's going on on the inside. Some of you are thinking, well, everybody knows I'm a Christian. Everybody knows I'm a follower of Christ. And the answer is, no, they don't. They might see some things that look like fruit in your life. But it's only God that knows your souls. Are you an unsaved church member today? Are you an unsaved deacon? An unsaved community group leader? An unsaved vacation Bible school teacher? An unsaved youth group member? Are you? Billy Graham, when he preached, nearly every time he preached, either in the message or the invitation, he would say something like this. I believe that the vast majority of church members in this culture are lost. Now, purely from a diagnostic standpoint, that's easy to guess at because you look at all the people who say they're saved that are part of a church, and then you look at the difference we're making in the culture. We're not really a salt and light, right? But someone asked him, Dr. Graham, why is it that you would say such a thing? And he said, because I was an unsaved church member. Maybe you didn't know that about Billy Graham. He was singing in the choir, a youth choir at an evangelistic event in Charlotte, North Carolina. He was vice president of his youth group at the church when the Holy Spirit of God began to draw him to Jesus. When he recognized that he had all the outer trappings, he was religious like Nicodemus, but he he was not saved. Some of you are weeds. Some of you need to be born again. You've heard of John Wesley. John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist Church. He wrote many of the hymns that we sing. John Wesley came to America as a preacher, and on that trip, he saw 30,000 Americans converted in an evangelistic crusade. He got on a ship to head back to England, and some Moravian missionaries were on the same ship. And the he, he says in his biography that as they began to share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ, His heart was strangely warmed. And he realized that even as a preacher of the gospel, he had not been saved. And he counts that as the moment that he was born again. I could just read to you the tombstone of a man buried in England. A man named John Berridge. This is what the tombstone says. Here lie the earthly remains of John Berridge, late vicar of Everton. An itinerant servant of Jesus Christ who loved his master and his work. And after running on his errands many years was caught up to wait. On him above. Then in words you can't see in the picture. It says reader. Art thou born again? No salvation without a new birth. 
I was born in sin, February 1716, remained ignorant of my fallen state till 1730, lived proudly on faith and works for salvation till 1754, was admitted to Everton Vicarage. In other words, he was a pastor in 1751, but I fled to Jesus alone for salvation, for refuge in 1756. And then I fell asleep in Christ, January 22nd, 1793. Are you born again? Are you religious without being regenerate? Are you a church member or a church attender that needs to be saved? Church, I want you to do me a favor and welcome my good friend, Dr. Jim Stock. Would you welcome him as he comes onto the stage right now? Dr. Stock is a distinguished professor at the University of South Florida. He's an active member and a a leader in our church. But Dr. Stock, you have an interesting story, and it relates to this idea of being born again. So welcome. Um, Tell me about your life before you were born again. Well, like perhaps many of you in this room, my parents attended church. They took us with them. And I did that for all of my growing up years uh, through high school and then went away to college. And uh, while at college, I walked down an aisle and uh, was baptized. And so uh, that sounds like a lot of people. Nothing, I wasn't uh, a drug dealer. I didn't uh, abuse people. I didn't do any of these things. I was a fairly good person, sort of nondescript. And... uh, thought that was uh, Christianity, and uh, but it wasn't. As Pastor Paul was sharing a few moments ago, I was a tear, and I'll talk more about that in just a few minutes, but I uh, um, was baptized in the First Baptist Church of New Orleans, um, and um, no change was made. I got wet, but uh, beyond that, no one saw a change in my life. I still attended church. I did things. I went to the youth group or college group, and those kinds of things, but inwardly, there was no difference, and I could sense that, but I said, well, that's what Christianity is all about. I just have to do good things and good works, and uh, I'm all set. But the truth is, you, on the outside, looked like someone who was faithful, so you got your PhD. You went off to teach in Oklahoma. Tell us what began to happen as you were walking through your journey in your faith. Well, by the time I got to the University of Oklahoma, which was my second teaching position, um, I had probably done most of the things in the church that uh, someone who would be, quote, a good Christian would do. I taught uh, Sunday school class, uh, first to the youth and then uh, college students and young marrieds. Uh, I went on mission trips, domestically primarily. I was a deacon. I was a... uh, a trainer in evangelism explosion, which is a witnessing uh, um, activity, and um, a bunch of other stuff. Went out on visitation, did all those things that what a good uh, church member would so, do. So you weren't just a church member. I mean, you were checking the boxes. You were, you were doing everything that, like as pastors and staff, we wish everybody would do. But still, something wasn't right. Continue. Well, again, I was, uh, there was no change internally. For me, and I knew intellectually 
scripture. You know, I, as I went out on evangelism explosion uh, uh, with my teams, we would lead people to Jesus Christ, and uh, which was an interesting lesson I could talk about uh, other times, that the Word of God convicts people, not Jim Stock's great presentation of evangelism. Um, but like again, John nothing, Wesley, John Wesley preaching yeah. uh, led people to Christ, but he, he wasn't saved. Right. And so um, uh, we were in uh, this church in Oklahoma, which was Southern Baptist Church, and um, I had just finished my little recording of my evangelism explosion that we had to do as our final step to get certified. I asked my pastor, I said, uh, Pastor, I'm... I would really like to know the specific date that I got saved, just so I could put that in the uh, testimony. And he said, Jim, it, it, you don't need that. You know, if you know that there was a time and a place where you accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, that's all that's required. But if you want to know a date, seek God. If he wants you to know that, he'll reveal it to you. So I started searching Scripture. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.